Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, public speaker, actor, and creative coach. And this show is meant to give you tools to claim the word creative, take fear out of the driver's seat of your life, gain awareness around mental health and spirituality, and own your right to have a dream and take up space. And today, you're going to hear a lot about trauma. Trauma is a difficult thing to talk about. It's even more difficult to heal from. Have you ever dealt with yours? Or is it sitting somewhere inside of you folded neatly in a box you won't open? Most importantly, have you explored all the ways to safely let it out? Today's guest for Mental Health Awareness Month is a television host, sportscaster, radio personality, and actress who opens up about her trauma and triumph and shares insight on how to confront your past, how a positive outlook can help you heal, and the importance of authenticity above all else. She's like a master's class in resilience and strength. But before we get to that, I want to ask you a quick favor. If you love the show and it's helped you, please consider leaving it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps bring the show visibility and push it up the charts so we can help and connect with more creatives. Also, consider sharing the show on your Instagram stories or Twitter. Tag the guest at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at Lauren LaGrasso, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Okay, so now more on the guest. Her name is Jillian Barbary. She's a Canadian-born television host that you may recognize as a former co-host from Good Day LA, the weather host from Fox NFL Sunday, a beauty ambassador for Too Faced at HSN, and many acting roles, including Clueless, Melrose Place, and Yes, Dear. She's the current host of her own fascinating podcast called Ask Jillian that you'll hear all about in today's show. Before we get into it, just so you know, there are some difficult topics we'll talk about today, such as sexual abuse and suicide, so please keep that in mind before listening any further. So back to Jillian. Before and throughout her success in the entertainment business, her life was highlighted by a series of difficult circumstances, from foster care to adoption to being molested to finding her birth family and fighting breast cancer. Jillian is the definition of resilience and has been unbelievably open about it all. Her openness is a big part of the reason she was able to heal and help those around her heal as well. This episode is not just about confronting your issues. As you'll see from Jillian, the way you deal with the things that happen to you are just as important as your life circumstances. If you feel like you're losing your fight with your trauma, I really feel this episode will remind you that there's a warrior in you. All right. Now here she is, the amazing Jillian Barbary. So, okay, I want to start in the beginning because I actually think you're the first person I've had on my show that was adopted. And oh, really? Yeah. I mean, at least that I knew about that, like, talks about it openly. Yeah. And so I'm just curious, like, well, first of all, when did you find that out? And then how did it, like, that knowledge affect you growing up? Um, you know what? My parents told me when I was nine, because I was like, I looked very different from my family. Mm, aside from that, I was always really outgoing, um, just different. And then when they told me, I'm like, oh, okay. Didn't bug me, didn't face me, didn't care. Um, when I moved to Miami, I'd started my TV career in Montreal and I was on air for about a year and a half. And then I got a job in Miami, which meant, you know, it meant oh, God, like a visa, then a green card, like a whole process. Before I moved to Miami, when I was 18, I wrote a letter to the government in Ontario and I was like, Hey, I want to find my family. And so they wrote me back and they said, there's a seven year wait. And I was like, what the fuck? Seven years. 
And they ask who you want to find. And so I was like, well, duh, my birth mom. So I swear to God, seven years to the day, I'm in fucking Miami. And my mom and dad that raised me said, they go, oh, we're going to forward some mail. You have something from the government. I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> what did I do? Anyway, I opened the letter and they're like, hi, we're ready to start the search. And then I was like, oh, I don't care about it anymore. I'm like, I don't need to meet her. Like I was just, my career was flourishing. I had like, I was 24. I was dating one of the Miami Marlins. We ended up getting married. I had a bomb fucking life. Like I, we lived on South Beach and I didn't care about my past. But when I moved to LA, it was kind of grinding at me a little bit. And when I was 34, somebody said, just hire a detective. So I hired a detective. And then four weeks later, um, they found a whole family, like my mom and dad. They had me, they both turned 18. They were both immigrants from other countries. They came, immigrated to Canada. Then the social worker said, if you marry the father, you'll get the baby back. They got married on New Year's Eve. And then um, I was three months old. Then they went to get me back on January 1st. The Catholic Children's Aid Society was closed. So they went back on January 2nd. And the nuns or the people that worked there had said, oh, she's been adopted, which was bullshit. I was in foster care. And I went to five families. Yeah, they fucking lie. How how long was that happening for? Were you like in your infancy? You were in foster care like the whole time? Did you? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, for sure. I think everything was finalized when I was a year and a half. And so fast forward. I thought I was finding my birth mother. I didn't know that they got married and then they went on to have two daughters. So they tried to get me back. They couldn't. They went on to have two daughters. So I have full sisters. You know, they said, first of all, don't call them. Write them a letter. I wrote them a letter. I wrote her a letter. And I was like, hey, I know this birthday is important to you because I was born that day. And I just want you to know you made the right decision. I'm, I live in a different country now. They said not to show your dog, your house, what you do for a living. So I didn't do any of that. I just said, I'm a well-adjusted woman and I have a career and I just want to say thank you. Uh, and, and you don't have to write back, but I just had to get this out, blah, blah, blah. Well, she got the letter and literally passed out on the kitchen floor because she was remarried and she didn't tell her, her husband that she had three daughters with Vince, not just two. So it took her a while to come around. And in that time, I talked to my birth sisters and they were so fucking hysterical. Like they're <laughs> one's an engineer and one works for the Toronto International Film Festival. So they were like, wait, where are you living? I'm like, oh, California. They're like, hot diggity, we're fucking coming down. And I was like, oh, okay. And then uh, she was, my youngest sister was 22. They found out I worked in TV or whatever. And so she's like, would we see it here in Canada? And I said, yeah, actually I'm on this one show, the NFL. And my sister goes, are you the weather girl? And I go, yeah. She, and she started screaming. She's like, we watch every Sunday. Then my other sister said, I said, I was on VIP with Pamela Anderson at the time. And it's a popular show in Canada because she's Canadian. And Pam gave me a reoccurring role. So I was on it. I think I did 10 episodes. And my sister, Amy, freaked out, the 22-year-old. She's like, we know that. Oh, my God. But she thought I was Molly, who's this tall redhead model. And I'm like, no, I'm like the short blonde. I'm like, what? The one that looks like you. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, yeah, they uh, saw me and, and they freaked out because I look exactly like my mom. They look like my dad. When they saw me, their jaws were open. They're like, it's like we're looking at our mother when she was 30. Like they freaked out. So I had a conversation with my birth dad and I told him, you know, I want to see a picture of her, but I don't want it from now. I want it from like around when she gave birth to me. So he sends me this picture and this woman comes across and it was just amazing. Um, and she ended up dying in my arms like six years ago on Christmas day. She had cancer. And everyone was around her. She was in hospice. And um, there was a bad snowstorm. Normally, there'd be four of us sleeping at her house. 
but no one could make it because it was a bad storm. So I was alone with her. And that night uh, I was playing music for her. And I thought, oh, she's like going to like Celtic because she's from Ireland, born and raised. No, she likes the Rolling Stones and she likes Neil Young. So my sisters were like, abort mission, put on the stones. But she said to me, I want a cigarette and a red wine. And I'm like, done. So I go and get her cigarettes. I get her a bottle of red wine. I come back. She's doing both. And she said to me, I'm so happy that you found us. And she said, tomorrow's the day. And I said, okay, go in peace. Just know that I, I met you all. I love you all. There's closure. I'll always talk to your daughters, my sisters, and just know that you did the right thing. And literally I woke up at 5 a.m. and I knew, and I said her name, I called out Jerry and there was nothing. And I'm like, she's gone. And I grabbed her hand and she was still warm. So she had just passed. Wow. And I was, I didn't tell anybody for an hour. I sat with her. I lied down on the bed and I cried, but I said, I'm so glad you're not in pain anymore. And then I called my sisters and then the, they came and took her away, you know, in the body bag. But I was at such peace. It was so bizarre. The Rolling Stones have a funny sort of story too, because I don't know, years later, maybe five, six years later, um, I get a letter in the mail and it's from England and it's from my father's side of the family. And they're like, hi, we just want to introduce ourselves. We're doing our family tree. And we want you to know that you are a cousin of Linda Lawrence. She's married to Donovan. And I'm like, Donovan, the singer? I've, I've interviewed this guy many times. How funny is that? That I've interviewed Donovan. She's been in the green room and she's my cousin. And they live in Ireland. And I'm from Canada. But here we are in Hollywood. And we're all together. Like, it's so fucking crazy, right? The world. It's small. Yeah. So my, my friend goes on the internet. She's like, if it's this Linda Lawrence, she was married to Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, they have a son. I'm like, what? So yeah, they weren't married. but she had a son with Brian and I talked to the grandson of Brian Jones. We're really good friends and he's a musician and he's in Ireland and we talk every week. Like we are super close and he, he looks like his grandfather. He's fucking cool as hell tattooed. He's really good looking. And the Rolling Stones are my favorite band. You know, I was like, full disclosure, this is fucking crazy. <laughs> I feel like a lot of your life is like that. Like there's just so many puzzle pieces and they're all like weirdly interconnected. Yeah. Something else I'm like realizing from listening to your story. Now I listened to an interview you did with my friend, Amanda Salas on your podcast, which was amazing. Yes. Love her. You seem to be the kind of person who you've gone through a lot of hard shit, but you just keep it moving. I have to, I have to, you do, you do. But do you ever feel like you're like overlooking the trauma? Like, do you bury it? Or like, how do you move through trauma in a way that oh. you're moving forward? You're not focusing too much on it, but it's not like, right. It's not like you're not dealing with it. Great question. Great question, Lauren. And it's funny. I haven't really thought about it. Um, I was molested as a kid and I used to think I'm very open about it. I used to think it was because I wasn't really their flesh and blood. Come to find out as an adult, my cousins from the family I was adopted into, they were also molested. Surprise, surprise. But this is a really fucking crazy story. I, I just thinking about it. So I, I I'm on the news in Miami and Miami, like the nightlife is so sexy and I'm living this great life. And we did one newscast a night at 10 PM. Like I would go put my weather together. Then we go to Benny Hanna's and do shots and half the time we were wasted on the air. I shit you not. <laughs> and um, I was best friends with the two anchor chicks and life was great. And one night we're getting ready in the, in the makeup room, which was the size of a closet. And, um, I'll never forget the three of us. It was Penny Daniels and the, the sports girl, Deb Kaufman and Kelly Mitchell, who died of breast cancer was one of my best friends. Mm. And there was a story on this kid getting molested. And they were like, Oh my God. Oh my God. This is worth molested by an uncle. Uh, and I was, I looked at them. I was like, Oh, come on. Like you guys didn't have a creepy uncle. And they like, what? And I was like, 
I know I'm more open about it than you guys, but every kid has been molested. And the look that they gave me, I'll never forget it. And I was 24 and I'm like, no. And they're like, no. And I remember Deb going, nobody in my family has touched me inappropriately. And I was like, what about you? No. What about you? No. Huh. And it resonated, but I didn't do shit about it for years. And then I went to a therapist to talk about that. Um, I actually, when I first moved out here, I was on the evening news and I was like, it was bugging me. So I'm like, I don't know anybody out here. So I called, I used to listen to Love Line with Dr. Drew. <laughs> and you recently did an interview with him. He's the best. Again, like everything's just connected. So interesting. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It is. It is so connected. The world is so small when you think about it. But because I worked at Fox, we had all of the people that were guests on the show, whatever. And back in those days on a fucking Philo fast. And he lived in Pasadena. I'm like, I'm calling Dr. Drew. So I call him up and this woman answers. It's his wife, who I'm now very good friends with. But she's like, hello. And I go, hi, can I speak with Dr. Drew, please? She goes, who's this? And I hear his triplets that are now 25 screaming in the back, they're babies. And I go, oh, uh, I'm Jillian Barber. I'm from the news. I wasn't married then, whatever. And uh, she's like, uh, yeah. I always joke with Susan now. Cause all you hear is bang, 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 bang. Like she was fucking throwing the phone at him and he gets on. And I was like, uh, hi, Dr. Drew. I feel like I know you. I work at Fox and I go, and he's like, back up. What? Wait, who are you? And I said, oh, okay, well, I'm on the news and you're always a guest on the show, but I've never met you, but I listened to you on Loveline and I was molested as a kid and I need to have help. Who do I call like a therapist or something? And he's like, he's on his fucking dinner break. Okay. He's like literally working at the hospital doing Loveline. Right. But there was no Yelp then. You just called Dr. Drew. This is how we did things. Just call Dr. Drew. And do you know that from that day on, he has been one of the pillars of my life. Mm. I've been to dinner with him, with his family. They've been to my home. I've been to their home. We've been on vacations. I love them so much. And I always credit him because he gave me the name of three women. I said, I don't want a man. I want a woman. He gives me the name of three women. What do you think I did with that information? Jack shit. Nothing. I just had, I had, I had it in my wallet for six years. And then I finally decided I was going to go get help. And when I did, I went to talk about being molested, but all I could talk about was my birth family. And she looked at me one day and she goes, you know, you really need to find your birth family. I was like, why? And she goes, because it's all you want to talk about. I go, oh, she goes, I just happened to have a brother that was adopted and he hired a detective. And I was like, huh? And she said, you're a resourceful woman, figure it out. And I was like, okay. And I hired a detective. And four weeks later, I got, my whole life came together. But the trauma part, I guess I just normalized it. And then later on in life, I realized because when I did talk to my therapist, I was, you know, 30, whatever, 34. And she said, uh, like, what age were you, Melissa? I was like, oh, six, seven, eight, nine. And then she goes, you don't have much sympathy for yourself. And I'm like, because I'm tough. I'm a tough chick, you know? Yeah. And she goes, well, do you have any friends with kids? And I said, well, yeah, my best friend has a daughter who's six. And she goes, okay, picture that. And I was like, Oh, oh, and that's when it dawned on me that's really fucked up. And that hit me more than anything. And then I was like, okay, all right, I'm going to deal with this. And the way I dealt with it was I worked with kids, girls that were molested. 
and I tell them my story and I'm like, look, I'm on TV. Like I overcame it. You're going to overcome this. Mm. And in doing so, it helped me therapeutically. Like they were helping me more than I was helping them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And I think that's the best way for any of us to get through something is like talk to somebody who's been through it too, because it feels so isolating when you're in the middle of something traumatic or painful or dealing with it, at least for the first time. And when you lend that hand to somebody else and they lend it back to you, like you finally feel seen. Absolutely. What would be your advice for somebody out there who has also experienced a sexual trauma? Like where do they start? They start with knowing that it has nothing to do with them. It's a mental sickness of the person. Do you know when I finally had the balls to tell I was dating this Italian guy at the time, he was, oh God, I love this guy. And we were 17. And you know, when you're 17, you're figuring things out and figuring your own body out. Well, I had detached so much. I wasn't able to be present in my body. And he always was saying, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm like, I'll tell you what's wrong. So uh, when I was a kid, I was molested by a family member, two family members. And then he goes, uh, well, what, what did you wear as a kid? Oh my gosh. I shit you not. He said that I started bursting out laughing. I'm like, hold my beer. (laughs) No, but I was just like, this is so far from his, I, I never mentioned it again. And what I did, I mentioned it to the girls in passing as a joke, you know, at the TV station. But he wasn't even trying to be funny. Like, you know, like that would be dark humor if I'm saying it to another victim. Like we could say that to each other. Like, what were you wearing as a six-year-old? That would be funny because we use dark humor to get over shit. At least I do. Right. And all my friends do. So we can hang. But when he said it, he wasn't being funny. And I looked at him and he looked at me like inquisitively, like, what were you wearing? Were you wearing a bathing suit, he said? And I just went... I was so dumbfounded. I started laughing. I couldn't do another thing. I, I also have a great sense of humor. You have an amazing sense of humor. I do. I laugh at everything. So I try to, but um, that to me was just a, like a bump in the way, I guess. And when there's a problem in my life, I tend to run full at, like when I was diagnosed with cancer, I'm like, okay, let's be aggressive. You know, I never thought I was going to die from it. I never thought, oh my God, it's one in eight, but if it comes back, it's one in four and it's death. Like, that's it. It's metastatic. You're done. I don't think like that. I'm like, fuck it. I'm, I've got a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old. I'm a single mother. I, I'm beating this. And that was my attitude from day one. I'm like, cool. What do we got to do? Chop them off. Give me the chemo. Get the radiation. Let's go. They're like, don't you want to discuss cold caps? Don't you want to keep your hair? What size breast implants? I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Cold caps are, because I've learned this from your talk with Amanda. That's when you literally put on, what is it called? Dry ice on your head so that your hair follicles. Pretty much. It's, just, it's a freezing cap, but it takes four hours to do it. And then you have your chemo, which takes four hours. Then I had my radio show. I'm like, fuck that. That's like 12 hours of my day. No. And I'm not vain. I'm like, I don't give a shit. I'll wear wigs. I'll go ball. I don't care. But Amanda would never wore a wig. So she's even less vain. Like she was like, "Uh uh-uh, this is me. And I'm like, okay, you rock the ball. This good. And I told her in the beginning, when we didn't know each other, I said, I want to share this with you because I see your pictures and you're fucking stunning. And you're a beautiful young woman. And I'm going to tell you this because- it won't hit you at first. You lose all your hair. You're rocking that look because you've got your eyelashes still. You've got your eyebrows. But when those fall out and you're starting to see the steroids kick in and you're starting to get swollen and you look in the mirror and you're bald with no hair, you're going to see Uncle Fester or you're going to see like you're going to see an ugly like man. Like you're just you're not you're not going to recognize yourself. And it's going to hit you that you are sick and that this is poison and that it's going to your system. And it happened to her, you know, and I think the hardest news for me when they said I had cancer, because I found out the same day I had my mammogram, which is no one 
fine. They always get a biopsy first. Yeah. And you were explaining it. So, and, and just for anyone who's confused. So you interviewed my friend, Amanda Salas, who had cancer, who survived cancer, thank God, just like you. Yep. Um, but you were each other's support system yep. while you were both going through it. And so you were talking about on the podcast you did with her about how you were like running between a party and the mammogram. Like what, what was going on that day? And like, can you talk through a little bit of like how you found out? Oh, sure. So when I worked on the NFL on Fox, um, I was 36 when I started. And in doing that show, I became very good friends with because they're all dudes and I don't give a fuck about football. Right. So, cause I did the weather, but so you like, you did like football for a really, really long time, but like you yes. hung out with them. Like you were really like, yes, well-known and loved in that community. Love them. Yes. Yeah. I love Howie and, and, and Terry Bradshaw and JB and Kurt Menefee and Jimmy Johnson and Chris Collinsworth and Michael Strahan. I love, and they will always be a massive part of my life because we used to travel and, you know, good God, private jets and staying at the Ritz. And like, they are treated like fucking gold. Then you come back to your, you know, local TV job and they treat you like whatever. <laughs> so anyway, we used to have for 10 years, we did this thing called mimosas and mammograms. Cause who wants to go and have their tits flattened out and a pancake and uh, so we tried to make it fun. Lisa Ashley is really the one who created it. She's the makeup artist. And I became really good friends with all the hairstylists, makeup artists, wardrobe. And um, we go to the four seasons in Westlake and they have an imaging center. We threw these parties in the beginning. It was four of us. Then each year it got bigger and bigger. And then it was like 40 of us. And then we started getting sponsored by Nike or Skechers or Fox and gift bags became bigger and bigger every year. And I was the, I always call it the cocktailologist, the cocktailologist, but that sounds really gross. I love so, it. The mixologist. Yeah. So, but I, I refuse to say mixologist. I always tell Lisa, I'm the cocktailologist. So this year, that year it was 2018. It was October and we always do it in breast cancer awareness month. And, uh, this was my 12th year. Right. So I'm like, no big deal. We started this party at, when I was 40 and now I was 52. So a week before that I was putting on my bra and I looked down and I noticed my nipple was inverted. It was going in. I go, what the fuck? And I was like, that's weird. I saw a funny shadow in the mirror and I took a closer look and I'm like, huh? Okay. Didn't think twice. I'm like, oh, fuck it. It's nothing. I never worry about shit. <laughs> so I go to get my mammogram and I was the first mammogram of the day. So it's 8 a.m. I go down about 45 minutes. She calls me back and she's like, can you come down again? I'm like, oh, do you guys forget something? She's like, oh, we just want to look something out. I'm like, oh, so I go back down. They do it again. I go back up, forget all about it, making more drinks for everybody. About two hours later, I get another call and they go, we need you to come back. We need to do a sonogram. I'm like, I'm not pregnant. And they're like, oh, okay. No, can you just come back down? So I go back down. And there was silence in that room for like 45 minutes. And I fucking knew. Mm. I was like, nobody's talking. Something's going on. So they don't say a word. And I go back up and I'm making drinks. I'm like, huh, I've never had to do that in my 12 years. That's really fucking weird. So I'm making more drinks. All of a sudden, my cell phone rings and it says my doctor, my general practitioner. I'm like, where the fuck's he's going? I'm like, hello. And he goes, hello. <laughs> he's all serious. Oh, gosh. And I go, yeah. And everyone's a couple of drinks in at this point. And he goes, um, you sound like you're in a good mood. I go, why wouldn't I be? And he goes, they haven't told you. I go, told me what? And he said, you have cancer. I go, what? I go, they can fucking tell from a song. He's like, you have textbook cancer. Yes, they can. And you need to go get a biopsy tomorrow. Tomorrow. Do not wait one week. Do not. I was like, what? Being And then I, I go to Lisa. I think I have to go. 
And I was supposed to go to the radio station that day. And I was all in the days because my thing was, oh my God, how am I going to tell my kids? Right. Like shit. And so I'm really good friends with Deborah Tate, who is Sharon Tate's sister from the Manson murders. And Deb and I have been friends for 22 years and she got breast cancer a year before me. And so I found her the best, we've been friends forever. And I said, I'm finding you the best doctor in Beverly Hills, blah, 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 blah. Wow. So I was with her through all the surgeries. So my kids kind of took it like, oh, like they call her Auntie Deb, like Deb, like Auntie Deb, we're fine. And I was like, yeah, exactly. I, I didn't even know how bad it was. So I got the biopsy and they said, yes, it's in your lymph nodes and you have breast cancer stage three and da, 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 da. I'm like, okay. But on the way home from that mammogram, before I got my biopsy, I called the same place that did Deb. And I was like, I want a double mastectomy. And they're like, what? Oh, okay. I go, yeah, it's my turn. And they go, well, normally you would schedule that after you get a biopsy. So I go, no, no, no. Book me. Done. Then I met with my oncologist, my surgery oncologist. And then I met with my regular oncologist. And I go, be aggressive. What do you got to do? And she goes, oh, yeah, okay, we'll do eight months of chemo, whatever. So I worked the radio station the whole time because it's radio and I was bald, who cares? So I got through it and I was like, fine, I never look back. But every once in a while, I've done this twice. I sit in bed or I'll watch a movie. I'm like, oh, they have cancer. Wait, I had cancer. I'm like, it stops me in my tracks. I'm like, holy shit, so did you, girl. Right. It's really weird. It's like, that's so interesting. You know, my my best friend's mom had stage four uterine cancer and survived. <sighs> and she had an attitude very much like you, where she's like, I need to stick around for my kids. I love my kids. I want to see my daughter have grandchildren. Yeah. And she would go in and every day she'd get like her full wig on, her full makeup on, go in with that mindset. And she said she'd walk into the hospital and she'd see everybody sitting there. And she goes, oh, I feel so bad for these people. And she's like, I realized I was one of those people. But in her head, she was already healed. hundred. And she beat it. hundred percent. Yeah. And it sounds similar to your mindset. Absolutely true. One day I got off on the wrong floor. This place is fucking huge. It's Cedar sinai I used to get lost all the time. I get off on the wrong floor. It was the children's ward. I start walking and I'm like, that looks different. That looked, wait a second. And I saw some kids and I had to turn around. I started bawling because I was just like, that was the only time I really cried. And it was for them. I turned around, walked out and I was just like, what the fuck, man? I'm never going to complain about ever having cancer. Like I saw parents sitting beside their bald children. They were so pale and they had needles everywhere. And I I just remember thinking, God, life is unfair. Like, why, 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 you know? Why do you think life is unfair? Why do you say that? You know, I used to work with Steve Edwards when we were on Good Day LA and we would report horrible things all the time. And Dorothy is a Christian and I was born and raised Catholic, but never really practiced. So Steve being Steve Jewish and just not practicing, but kind of very, you know, cerebral about things, there would be an accident and there would be a child that survived. And Dorothy would say, oh my gosh, God was looking out for that child. And then Steve would say, but he wasn't looking out for the other ones. And I'm like, oh, isn't that interesting? And I was like, yeah, I would agree with Steve. But I agree more with Dorothy now in the sense that you've got to hang on to positivity. Like even when my mother passed in my arms, it was like, I go, do you realize like we've had almost 15 years together? Like if I wouldn't have written you that letter, I'm so lucky to have had 15 years with you. And she was like very, very weak. And she's like, I know. I know she had me so young. She's like, I wish I could have hung on to you, but she didn't tell anybody she was pregnant. I'm like, how skinny were I was a fucking whale when I was pregnant. She's like, no, I I lived at home till I was six months pregnant. And then she picked a huge fight with her mother because they were immigrants. She had eight brothers and sisters and they all lived in a tiny shoebox. And um, she knew that her mother would kill her. 
And so she picked a huge fight and then she went to live in a home for unwed mothers. And the funny thing is, while she was pregnant, she bought a fake wedding ring. She looked like a baby, but wherever she went, because she was judged. Women in the 60s that had babies oy, that weren't married. Oh my gosh, forget it. Forget it. Yeah. So so I try to just be positive about everything because I know that, you know, I've been so blessed. And the other thing is cancer did not phase me one bit. A couple months after I had the surgery and I was starting, I was bald. I literally, you get chemo and your hair falls out right away. Right. And also going through chemo, they have to give you pills that put you in full menopause. I wasn't in full menopause. And so now I got the night sweats. Then the ex gets married to a 30 year old. Then they have a baby. And I'm just sitting here going while you were going through chemo. Oh yeah. The whole, yeah, for sure. How did you deal with that piece? Okay. So you have this huge, (laughs) like, let's just break this down. You have this huge physical battle you're going through. You're raising your children. You're, you know, working still you're human. And then your ex gets married to a 29 year old. Is that correct? I think she was like 30, maybe beautiful. Oh, okay. 30. (laughs) Very old. Sorry. But I'll tell you what. Yeah. How do you deal? I had to look at it from a different perspective that my kids really liked her and they would always speak so highly of her. You're such a good mom. And I wanted so badly to meet her. So when I met her, I said, I just want to thank you for when, you know, my kids do see you, they really like you. And that means a lot to me because you're there every second weekend because they live with me, you know, all the time. And she was lovely. And then we went to my daughter's play. My daughter had the lead and we sat together. I invited her, you know, I wanted to get to know her. She was married to him then, but they hadn't had a baby. Then he moves 10 hours away or wherever he moved. He moved to Northern California with her and then they had the baby. So for my kids, I was more concerned with them. Like, you know, their dad's remarried, but they do love her. Oh my gosh, she's moving so far away. They can't just go down the street and visit him. He lived three miles from me and they have a baby, you know, like that's a whole, and I kept saying, you're going to love this baby. Cause at first they were like, eh, you know, <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 you're going to love, I tell you what you're going to love. And they do now. So, you know, I try to look at things in a positive way. And I thought, you know, why would I be anything but happy for them? You know, he and I were not, you know, oof. But he and her seem to work out really well. Yeah. So it's nice. It's re- it's worked out very well. Um, but yeah, sure. Were there times when I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like I'm 52, breast cancer, tits get chopped off, lose my hair. He's with a beautiful young woman. Like, of course you're human. Like, you're just like, really? And you know what I would say to myself? I go, Jillian, shut the fuck up. You're not a child with cancer. You've had a 30 year television career that has been incredible. You've been blessed. You never worked out a day in your life. You were always a fucking size zero or two. Shut up. You had natural, beautiful breasts. Like you were granted so many good, incredible years. It's your turn for some shit to go down. And that's what I looked at. That's how I looked at it. And there were dark moments, but there's some other things in life too, that the carpet gets pulled and you're just like, what? So I just knew I had to keep going because I, the kids, you know, like, and now they're 11 and 13 and my daughter shaved the rest of my hair off, you know? Mm. And there were times I'd look in the mirror and I, I remember one time I whispered it because I was doing her hair in a ponytail and I saw myself and I gained like 40 pounds. I'm bald. My face is like huge with the steroids. And I looked in the mirror and I, I just whispered, I go, God, I'm a monster. Like I looked like a monster, but I whispered it and she heard me. And she goes, mommy, 
you're not, you're beautiful. You don't talk like that. And I was like, Oh, I can't believe that came out of me. Like I'm so positive all the time. Yeah. And I thought what a horrible thing for that child to hear like that. I think, cause you gotta be instilling in your kids that you're beautiful, no matter this, that. So that was a moment I cringe at because she saw me as a warrior, as a fighter. And I only saw a monster because physically, right. And I was like, how vain you like, shut up. You know, you have your health and your kids. So yeah, I always just, you know, it's just about positivity, I guess. It's hard. When you are like in a moment like that, a really down moment, whether it's like physical health, emotional health, or just like not feeling good about yourself and you're looking in the mirror and feeling like you're a monster, how do you shift your mindset? Like you had a little baby angel whose hair you're doing, who helped you figure it out. But if you're like sitting there, standing there by yourself and really upset with what's going on, either physically or internally, Mm -hmm. what would be your advice for how to shift in your brain? Great question. It took me a long time. I actually sought out a therapist. I called Dr. Drew again. You know, now I'm very good friends with him. And I said, you know, here's what's happening. And I'm having dark thoughts. I go not suicidal at all, but dark. I'm in a very dark, dark place. Oh, and then the radio went syndicated. 40 of us lost our jobs, including Dr. Drew, because I worked with him at the radio station. And I was just like, the ex is remarried with a baby. Fucking lost my job. I got cancer. I'm like, anything else, you know? And there were times when I would just like, I'd be, I would have to laugh. Right. And I was just like, it is my turn to get shit on. And it is what it is. And just deal with it and fucking move on and stop complaining. But there was a time when I didn't want to get out of bed. And I was like, ooh, I think I'm depressed because I'm not like that. I used to spring out of bed. Woo, good day. Great. Yay. Blah, blah, blah. And I just couldn't get out of bed. And so I called Dr. Drew. Anyway, I ended up going to this wonderful woman in Pasadena. And when I got to her office, I had barely sat down and I just started bawling. I couldn't talk. And she just let me bawl. She let me sit there and cry. And I told her the story. And she's like, of course. I mean, yeah, you're human. Who wouldn't feel like this? So I didn't want to go on anything for it. I was like, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to, but I need to get help. And she's like, you need to, you do need help. You can't get out of bed. You can't function. You need help. So she put me on um, Effexor and Wellbutrin. And I didn't really notice a difference at first. And she said, no, it's going to take some time to kick in. Well, it did. And I stayed on it. And it was like a miracle for me in the sense that I wasn't like, yay, unicorns and butterflies. It was, I was functioning. Like I could fucking get up. It gives you a baseline. Yes, exactly. I could make my bed and I could, you know, make dinner for the kids instead of like hiding under the covers and worried about everything, finances and just, oh, it was just too much. And so I'm grateful for her. I still talk to her. I talked to her this morning. And when things turn around again, like I got a job at HSN, I got another job. I'm like, oh my gosh, like things are meant to come together. And I've had, I would say almost three years of hell, really bad time. But through it, I've tried to be positive, especially for my kids. I went through a very deep depression. When I say very deep, I got to the point where I was like, maybe things would be better if I wasn't here. Like I started to think like that and that scared the fuck out of me. Cause I've never been that person. Um, it's really scary. Yeah. It's really scary. Like I have had one time like that in my life too, where I said, I, it wasn't quite that dark, I guess, but I said, I know things will get better, but if I didn't know that I wouldn't want to live and like just thinking something like that, yep. 
it's terrifying when you have been a positive person your whole life and you've always seen the glass half full and you've always believed that the best thing could happen to you. hundred percent, you know? And so I just commend you so much for having the courage. Thank you. First of all, for talking about medicine, because a lot of people are afraid to talk about medication. Oh, I'm too open. I went on Zoloft after my first divorce and I went on TV and I was like, yeah, I'm taking Zoloft because, you know, I have situational depression. It's because I got a divorce. And I remember they were like, Jesus, you're an open book. Like they didn't even know. Was that, like a, was that in the 90s? Like yes. when was that? Yeah. Okay. So no one was talking about mental health then. You really do wear your heart on your sleeve. Like where does that come from? Tell me about this piece of yourself. Have you always been that always. way or did you build yourself up? Always. Ever since I was a kid, I just had no, I didn't know boundaries. I didn't know like my hair lady that worked with me at Fox for 20 years when I was on Good Daily, she said to me once, it's because you're European and, and you were raised in Canada. Mm. It's a very different outlook on sex, on openness. There's no shame. You don't do anything to hurt anybody else, but you don't judge as much. Like I, I don't judge other, I don't, I don't know what they're living. I, I'm just not that person. And she said, Americans are very different. And I went, you're 100% right. I was just raised to be, I was like, oh, I'm adopted, you know? And and I'm, I'm this and I'm that and I'm great and I can do things. And I remember saying, I'm going to be on TV in Hollywood and all the people in my, um, <laughs> in my professor's class, they were like, ha, ha, ha. they're all laughing. And then my prof, I remember saying, he's like, where does this come from? I go, I don't know, but I, I'm sick of living in the cold and I'm going to live in either Miami or LA. And I got a job in Montreal doing the weather and I sent my tape, my audition tape to Miami and LA and I got a job in Miami. But I didn't send a tape of me doing the weather. I did all the fuck ups that happened and how I recovered. So it was like, like if I was in the middle of a, uh, a stand up outside and it was, you know, minus 60 and the snowblower came by and blew it, I put that on the tape. Or if somebody walked in my shot, one kind of guy walked in my shot with no shirt and we ended up having like a whole conversation. And That's so brilliant. Yeah, it was just fun. That is so brilliant. What a creative way to make yourself stand out for a job, you know, instead of saying like, oh, I'm perfect all the time. Here's the times when things went wrong and I handled it. And that's a great example for anyone trying to get a creative job right now. Show that you know how to deal with a crisis. Yeah. Think outside of the box, you know, like what's the worst that can happen? They don't hire you. Who gives a fuck? Like move on to the next place, you know? And, and then I would get called into the boss's office and he would say, what are you wearing? And I'm like, oh, Lisa Gibbons had this jacket on on entertainment tonight last night. And he's like, we're broadcasting to potato farmers, not entertainment tonight. I was like, what? Oh, I don't care. I want to be glamorous. And the same thing happened when I moved to LA and all the women were wearing jackets. And I was like, fuck that. I would wear Shelly Siegel laundry, sweater sets. I started wearing Dolce & Gabbana dresses and everyone was like, beep, blah, blah. now everybody does it. But um, I used to get called in all the time. And I was like, I'm sorry. How did you deal with that? Because like my go-to thing when a boss calls me in is to be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. But you just came in balls in the air. I don't even think that's a saying. Yeah. But like, <laughs> you came in your full self and you're like, you know what? If you want me, you get all of me. How? Teach me your ways. I want to be like this. <laughs> well, I always say it's easier to ask for forgiveness and permission, right? So I would just wear what I wore. And one time I got called in that I was too sexy and that I had to maybe cut my hair and stop wearing chokers because quote, chokers were too street coming from the man who's 58 fat, bald. And like, you know, I'm like, what, who the fuck are you to tell me what street? Do you even know what street you live on? Like what? So I would go, okay, yeah, you're right. And then I would go on the air the next day, same thing. Right. And so one day 
I started to get a lot of fan mail and women were like, oh my God, I love watching you because you're like a real woman on the news and you're not wearing a man's suit and trying to be something you're not. So I started to get a lot of fan mail. And then, um, and then it happened. Tyra Banks was working for, I think, Oprah. And Oprah, they did this segment on how I've been changing the way women in the news are. And once that happened and I dumped all the fan letters, because I said to my boss, this is what I said. I go, when you go out in public, you are the GM or you're the news director of the station. But nobody knows that. I go, when I go out in the public, I'm Julian Barbary and people have unsolicited opinions up the ass. So I get told what people like and people like what I'm doing. And to prove it, I've got all this fan mail. Oh, and Oprah Winfrey's doing a story of me. From that day, they were just like, oh, fuck, all right, whatever. But the biggest compliment I ever got, a guy was visiting from Canada. And he, I don't know if he just moved here or what, but he was so annoyed with me. He wrote a letter to the station. And he's like, I knew it. Moving to LA, there's all these bimbos on the air. I read the letter on the air and I was like, sir, I'm from Canada like you, you know, and <laughs> sir, I hate to break it to you. Yeah. He's like, oh, Hollywood's so shallow. You know, you have people that look like her and act like her. It's so Hollywood. She's so LA. So to me, it was a compliment. I was like, thank you. <laughs> I'm fitting in fine. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it is what it is. Right. Yeah. It's like the power of being yourself though. It is. I mean, Really, people were coming to you and were loving what you were doing because you were being yourself. Like people can weed out inauthenticity very quickly. Oh my gosh. And I've never been unauthentic. And, you know, even the acting jobs that I've gotten, I've never auditioned for anything. So I've been on sitcoms, I've been in movies. And it's because they were like, oh, we're going to cast a part. Like the guys who did Will and Grace did a sitcom. And they're like, we need a girl who does the weather that, that's like her. So they auditioned like, 18 women, they have to be a Jillian Barbary type. And then they're like, fuck it, let's just get Jillian Barbary. So I did a bunch of episodes. I was supposed to do three and I did 10. It was called Good Morning Miami. It was on NBC after Friends and Will and Grace. But that's not the big part. The part that I mean to say is when I started to get noticed, then my agent was sending me out on auditions. And I remember they said, you have your sides. And I was like, what are sides? They're like, it's your, I'm like, oh no, I can't. Like Pam Anderson cast me in VIP because I met her at a party. She's like, I love you. You're going to be in my show. And I was like, oh, and I got the script and I'm like, oh, when, when is the audition? They're like, uh, you don't understand that character is you. She wrote that for you. I was like, oh, so I realized that when I go to audition, I have anxiety mm. and I didn't know I had, so I would have an anxiety attack and I, I would sit outside the audition and then I go, fuck it. And I drive away, you know, put me in front of a camera live. I can do it. If the person wants me, I'm confident. If they go, let's get her. She's yeah, we don't need to audition. Then I'm confident. But if I have to go. I went to an audition and I shit you not, Cary Grant is one of my favorite actors. And I walk in and there's Jennifer Grant, his daughter. We're born the same year. And I go, oh, for fuck's sakes. And I walked out. I was like, there's no fucking way. Oh, how do you deal with imposter syndrome though? Do you have that in any other area of your life or is it just in the acting thing? Oh, that's interesting. Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Like I'm going to get found out like that, that I suck or something. Yeah. No, I don't have that anywhere else. No, no. I don't get anxiety a lot, but when I do it, it's for, you know, like an audition or something and it comes over me and I'm like, Oh my God, Oh my God, I'm not, uh, not worthy to be here. I'm just going to leave. But if you were to put me in front of a live audience, I have no problem with that. You know, it's like so strange. Oh, you can command. I mean, okay. So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now. Cause honestly, every section of your life, we could spend a full hour on, I mean, <laughs> but I really want to talk about your podcast and this HSN opportunity. So thank you. Tell me a little bit about where you're at now with that and like kind of what you're hoping for the future. 
well, I've worked at HSN, which is such a fucking machine. It's incredible. Like you'll pass Christy Brinkley and, oh, there's Iman and there's Tony Little and there's Curtis, the cute chef. And everybody's hustling, right? And so I'm really good friends with Jared who created Two-Faced and now Estee Lauder just bought him, I think, for $1.5 And he and his husband are set for life. But I knew Jared when he was making eyeshadows in his kitchen. And he said to me, um, one day I'm going to have my own line. And I go, good. When you do, call me and I'll do a style file on you. So he did. Two years later, he called me. And I said, you've got to come to Fred Siegel. We're going to lay out your product and we're going to do a story on you. But be prepared. They're going to want you. You're going to get orders. And that's what happened. And then Nordstrom. And then he became huge. So I called him up. We remained friends forever. And Good Day LA was going through some changes. And they wanted to put me down to two or three days a week. And he's like, what? That's weird. I'm like, I know. What do you think I should do? And he said, don't do it. Because he's a mogul, right? Like he's, he's smart with business. Right. So I took his advice and I quit. I said, I'm not working two or three days a week. Fuck it. I helped create this party. Now you're kicking me out. Sayonara, motherfuckers. So I left. And he called me and he's like, I want you to be the face of women over 40 for HSN. I'm like, oh yeah, I used to work at HSN with Jennifer Flavin. So I've, I've always, I've loved being there. I worked there for eight years with Too Faced and we became a huge, huge. And then I got cancer. And so Estee Lauder bought them in the meantime. So all those changes went down. They used people internally, makeup artists. Well, part of the appeal was that I wasn't a makeup artist, but I would tell ladies, you can be your own makeup artist. I've covered the Oscars. I've done my own makeup. Like, come on. So anyway, I just got the opportunity to rep this really cool clothing brand. And they actually had sent me a bunch of clothes when I had chemo. And they're so cozy and comfy. And I was getting chemo in Beverly Hills where people would get done up, you know? So I wanted to be comfortable, but I wanted to look cute too. So um, that's how that started. And I go on May 20th to kick it off. And I get to do it from my fabulous, glamorous closet. And I'm really excited. And I'm hoping to build that brand like I did with Too Faced at HSN. They're like family to me. So when I was talking to them, they're like, oh my God, you're back. Like, we're all so excited. So there's that. Then my podcast is really like everybody and everything. So today I just interviewed the daughter of a huge serial killer. <laughs> He is the BTK killer, bind, torture, kill. He killed for 40 years. He killed kids. He killed older women. He did not discriminate. And she grew up with him not knowing. He started killing when she was, before she was born. And he killed right up until she was a married woman. And um, his name's Dennis Rader. Her name is Carrie Rawson. She has now become a friend because I've known her for a few years. And I finally got the opportunity to talk to her today for a full hour. So what I did was I went through the chronological order of everyone that he killed and how he killed them. And when he would take breaks, always when his kids were born, he would take four years off and then he would, you know, and then I, and then I introduced her. Oh my gosh. Well, if you think about like, I've had Deb Tate on, right? So she comes from the victim side yeah. and I've gone to all the Manson hearings with Deb. And you're good friends with her. Like you said, your kids call her aunt Deb. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing I, I would love to get into with you is like how much you love the underdog, but uh, let's stay on this track. And then maybe we'll get to that if we have a minute. <laughs> well, yeah, she, Deb stayed here with me for Christmas and yeah, my kids love her. And we go up to Mule Creek Prison all the time. I've, I've met all the killers, except for Charles Manson, because he's dead. But he also would never come out to meet Deb. He hated when she showed up for parole hearings. But I, I've met all the killers. And 
they get to talk for eight hours and the victim's families talk for three minutes. It's fucking crazy, but it is what it is. They denied, denied, denied parole. So I interviewed everybody from the victim side, but I thought how fascinating to interview someone who's another kind of victim. She didn't know her father was a serial killer. Her mother didn't know. She was married to, they, he killed their neighbor and Carrie was six. And she's like, dad, the, the boogeyman's out there. He's like, I'll take care of you. And so she wrote a book, My Father, the Serial Killer, and uh, a few years ago, and that's when I met her. And I was like, you're an interesting woman because you're a different kind of victim. And she is. I mean, she, her whole life, she didn't know this man. He compartmentalized everything. And he, he raped these girls. Uh, he hung them. He ejaculated on an 11-year-old girl. He dressed up in women's clothes, took pictures of himself naked. Like, it's all out there. And she's like, my whole world collapsed. I mean, it's horrible. So. I'm interested in the human struggle in a sense of, you know, from all sides. Fascinating. So you talk with everyone from people like her to people like my friend, Amanda, who's also an entertainment reporter and a survivor of cancer yep. to Suzanne Summers. I mean, talk about someone who was on HSN for a long time. Holy shit. She's every Suzanne Summers item. <laughs> She's built a fortune. I've been to her house in Palm Springs. Oh my God. That's all I'm going to say. But I've seen it on the Instagram lives. Yeah, oh God. Remember when the guy walked in? We talked about that. But I, <laughs> next week we have Michael Chiklis. I had Lena Waithe, who was a big fan of mine. In oh. fact, when Lena came on, I was like, okay, I love her show. She's amazing. I love everything she does. So Lena comes to my house and we're doing this podcast. She goes, before we start, I want to tell you something. I'm like, okay. And she goes, when I was 17, living in the hood in Chicago, we got your Good Day Live show. And she goes, I was obsessed with you. So I wrote you a letter when I was 17. And, and I was like, oh God, please tell me I wrote you back. And she said, yeah, you wrote me back. And you were like, you could do anything you want in life. Like sky's the limit, man. You know, I'm a girl from Canada. Look at me. I'm in Hollywood. Like, fucking anything. You can overcome anything, you know? And she loved that I was open and honest about my whole life, which I was. And I knew that I would reach certain people, you know, whether they were molested or whether they were on Zoloft or they had a miscarriage or they were adopted. I always try to relate. You know, I want to do that for other people. Like, you know, I feel like I've, I've been really lucky. And so I've worked hard too. but. I, I, I try to see the positive, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, everyone should check out your podcast. It is incredible. And we'll plug it at the end. Thank you. So excited for these things you're doing. And I guess I'd love to end with, you know, this question, because I really noticed throughout your story that you care about the underdog and you see the underdog. And I wonder where that kind of desire to step in and like advocate for them comes from in you. Oh, uh, because I was the underdog. Even as a little kid, I knew I had to be a voice. I remember we lived next door to this drunk. He ended up shooting himself in the head. He killed himself, but he was drunk and he used to go outside and my bedroom faced his outdoor area where they kept their dog. And I remember he was yelling at the dog and he hit it. So I opened up the window and I said, you fucking, I must've been 10, nine, you fucking stop touching that dog. I was like, I'm going to call the police. I went nuts. He was like, geez, you know, <laughs> Um, one of my producers on Good Day LA is, is gay and he went to his 10 year reunion and we were best friends. He's now in New York. He works, works for HGTV. He's amazing. And he said to me, you have to come with me. I'm like, fucking done. We are going. I go, I didn't get to go to mine because it was in Canada and I was down here with my career. So I go to his reunion. And by that time I was already on the NFL and I go, tell me everyone that called you a fag. Tell me everyone that called you queer. Tell me everyone. He's like, that was a bully. So. 
halfway through the dinner, women are coming up. They're like, did you go to Taft high school? I'm like, no. They're like, aren't you Jillian Barbary? I go, yeah. I go, no, I'm with him. So they would want pictures. So every time I go, anybody comes up and wants a picture, kick me if they were a bully. So they would come up throughout the evening and mostly guys with their girlfriends or their wives. And then uh, he'd go, you're Jillian Barbary from the NFL. And I go, yeah. And they go, how are you? Did you go to Taft? I go, no, I'm with my friend, Lauren. I go, you used to call him a faggot and throw him in the locker and pour juice over his head. I go, I would never take a fucking picture with you. Get out of my face. Like I did this all night to the bullies and we went home and laughed. We got in and out. And he said, that was the greatest fucking high school reunion in the world. Because I was like, yeah, look at him now. I go, he's super successful. He's making a lot of money and he's producing me. I go, I'm on TV because of him. And then I would just go, yeah, you were a dick to him. This went on all night and it just made me feel good. So I've always been that person. I always will be, you know, cause I was that. I always say it came out of the womb with fists because I had to, you know, I, yeah. I didn't get to breastfeed. I wasn't maternally loved for a long time. I was in the care of strangers, like whether they were nuns or nurses or foster families. So I think it just was part of me to be a fighter and uh, be grateful, but always stick up for the underdog. Like I will never sit quietly. I, I have such a good relationship with my kids. I'm really lucky. And they do know that I'm that person, Yeah, you know, and I, I told them when they were very young that some men love women and some men love men. That's just life. I also told them if they felt that they were gay at any point or they, you know, I said, you tell me, I'm like, don't tell you that you tell me. Cause I'm the one with all the gay friends. Like I've got fabulous friends. Like there's no way you're going to tell the former Marine sniper. You know, <laughs> and so They know that like we're very close. So I'm so lucky. Mm. Well, you're an amazing person. And you said something just now about how like you weren't mothered at a young age, but I hope, and it seems like you've mothered yourself and, you know, you've had amazing mother figures in your life and you are one to so many people. So that's so sweet. Thank you. Thank you for having me on to tell my story. And yeah, I think all that, that I didn't get in the beginning, I poured into my, my own daughter. And I remember her holding her in the tub when she was just an infant, maybe a week old. And I was like, wow, I was on my own at this age. Like it is a trip. I could have been placed anywhere with horrible people. Like I am really lucky. So that's the way I look at it, that they chose me. And, you know, I'm so naive. I remember my parents saying, we chose you. And I was picturing an orphanage and then walking down and going, we want that one. And it didn't dawn on me till I was like 40 that no, you get a call. They're like, we have a healthy baby girl. Parents are from Europe. And they're like, okay, like, that's how I feel. (laughs) It's like, but I chose to believe that I was chosen, you know? And you still were, you still were. And, you know, like, I don't know if you're spiritual at all, but they say that like when we're like floating up in like heaven land, we choose our parents based on a lesson our soul needs to learn. Oh, I believe that. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like you've got two sets of parents and learn two sets of le- oh, many different lessons, Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's just, it's really interesting. I believe, I believe our parents choose us and we choose them. Yeah. And it was very literal in your case, but even when it's more spiritual, so. I agree. And I'm very spiritual and I, I believe everything that you've just said. And I've always been a believer in, I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. No matter the circumstances, they may suck. Sometimes they're amazing, but I'm always present. Like when I would do the Super Bowls, I'm like, holy shit, I'm like at the Super Bowl and I'm fucking, I'm on the Super Bowl. Oh, wow. You know, and I would have these moments of like, you should enjoy this. Or I'd be on the sitcom on the NBC lot. And I'm like, you should enjoy this because maybe it won't happen again. You know, I try to be in that moment because I was very fortunate. And then through the three years of not being as fortunate, it really uh, made me so grateful 
that I did have that, you know, and, and I try to be grateful during the shit times too, which is very hard sometimes. Yeah. But you really, I mean, listening to your story, you really, really are. So well, thank you. I hope to talk to you many more times. You're an incredible human and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening and thanks to my guest, Jillian Barbary. For more info on Jillian, follow her at Ask Jillian on Instagram and check out her podcast, Ask Jillian on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Thank you so much to Unleash Associate Producer Emily Shulmanovich. You can follow her at We Can't Find Emily. Thank you to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. Be sure to get my new song therapy at the link in the show notes or in my Instagram bio. It's out now. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren Lagrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also, tag Jillian at Ask Jillian so she can share too. My wish for you this week is that you empathize with yourself the way you would with a friend. You need to fight for the underdog inside of you so that you can fight for the other underdogs who you meet along the way. I love you. And I believe in you. Talk with you next week.